Here they come. Right now, they're gathering from hospitals all across America for Talk 10 Tuesday. They know there's important news and information just ahead. Don't miss out. Come in, sit down, and log on. It's Talk 10 Tuesday with Chuck Buck and co-host Dr. Erica Reamer. Here now is the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, Chuck Buck. Thank you, Clark Anthony. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 392nd edition of Talk Dan Tuesday, and brought to you today by the American Health Information Management Association. We know them, of course, as AHIMA. AHIMA represents health information professionals who are stronger through collaboration. As advocates and educators, they're dedicated to your growth. Get connected at ahima.org. Joining me this morning as my co-host is a very popular Dr. Erica Reamer. Dr. Reamer is the founder and the president of Erica Reamer, MD Incorporated. And good morning, Erica. Welcome back. Good morning, Chuck, and uh, good morning, everyone. Thanks. We launch a new series here at ICD-10 Monitor and Talk to Tuesday. It's called 10 Going on 11. It's all about ICD-11. I know. It's coming in 2022. Hope the transition won't be as painful as when we went from 9 to 10. I think everybody feels that way. To learn more about ICD-11, we have not one, hold on, but two special guests. Robert Jacob from the World Health Organization is standing by live in Geneva, Switzerland, where it's mm, a little after 7 o'clock in the evening. And in this country, Margaret Circa, who has just returned from a meeting in Canada, the World Health Organization's Family of International Classifications, she's going to discuss the latest ICD-11 from both a U.S. perspective and a global perspective. It's going to be a good program. Yeah, it sure is. And also on the subject of ICD-11, Melanie Endicott from AHIMA will report on CDI as it relates to ICD-11. That's going to be good. Lori Johnson is going to report on the coding implications of ICD-11, plus she has a coding report on diabetes, and you have a talkback segment today. What are you going to be talking about? I'm going to share some thoughts on the third quarter coding clinic. Very good. We have much news to report, and we'll begin with Tim Powell, who's at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. I want to talk about the new discharge planning rule and getting ready for fraud. Margaret Wheatley, author and management consultant, famously said, without reflection, we go blindly on our way, creating more unintended consequences and failing to achieve anything useful. In a news release last, late last month, CMS issued the following statement. The Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services issued a final rule that empowers patients to make informed decisions about their care as they are discharged from acute care into post-acute care and a process called discharge through a process called discharge planning. In addition to improving quality by improving these care transitions, today's rule supports CMS's interoperability efforts by promoting the seamless exchange of patient information between healthcare settings and to ensure that a patient's healthcare information follows them after discharge from a hospital to a PAC provider. The final rule revises hospital discharge planning requirements for long-term care hospitals and inpatient rehabilitation facilities, inpatient psychiatric facilities, children hospitals, and cancer hospitals, critical access hospitals, and home health agencies. Each of these facilities must meet the requirement as conditioned to participate in Medicare and Medicaid programs. Among other things, it requires a discharge planning processing uh, focus on the patient's goals of care and treatment preferences. So let the fraud begin. Have we learned nothing from false claims, actions, and settlements? By making these discharge planning requirements that requires the discharge planning process to focus on the patient's goal of care and treatment preferences, you allow discharge planners to potentially steer patients to specific skilled nursing homes and other long-term care providers in return for kickbacks. 
This is exactly what happened in the action against Hebrew Homes that was settled for $17 million in 2015. In June of 2015, the Department of Justice issued the following press release. Hebrew Homes Health Network, its operating subsidiaries and affiliates, and William Zukoff, the former president and executive director of Hebrew Homes Health, collectively Hebrew Home Health, have agreed to pay $17 million to resolve allegations that Hebrew Homes violated the False Claims Act by improperly paying doctors for referrals of Medicare patients requires skilled nursing care, the Department of Justice announced today. Hebrew Homes committed this fraud by paying multiple physicians and admit, ad, for, with admitting privileges hundreds of thousands of dollars to put their patients into Hebrew Homes skilled nursing facilities. It's a well-known dirty secret in South Florida that discharge planners are often bribed to send patients to particular skilled nursing homes. I am concerned that while well-intentioned, expanding discharge planning will force providers to hire discharge planners that are susceptible to just this type of corruption. And with that, back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Tim. That was Tim Powell. Tim is a compliance expert and an IC10 Monitor National Correspondent. This is Election Day. It's Tuesday. It's November the 5th, 2019, and you're listening to the 392nd live edition of Talk 10 Tuesdays and brought to you today by AHIMA. Stand by. Accomplish big things in little time. AHIMA's on-demand coding webinars offer a timely, flexible solution to keep pace with the rapid changes happening in the health information industry. Walk away with new knowledge and know-how. All it takes is an hour. AHIMA's 2019 coding webinars cover topics like ED infusion and injection coding, improving revenue integrity, the new frontier for HIM professionals, ABCs of ENDM, and more. Visit ahimastore.org to browse all topics. Here now is Lori Johnson with the Talk 10 Tuesday Coding Report. Good morning, Lori. Good morning, Chuck, and good morning, Erica, and hello to our listeners. As we are talking about ICD-11 this morning, and it is the Tuesday after Halloween, I looked up the term for uncontrolled diabetes and found the ICD-11 code 5A24, which is the full code at the category or STEM level. A lookup tool can be, a found, can be found at HTTPS, colon, front slash, front slash, icd.who.int, and you'll find that URL in the resources tab. ICD-11 means that we'll be coding without a physical book, so those of us who have been carrying around those heavy I-10 books will be happy to, uh, to transition to electronic. Speaking of diabetes, November is, Nove- is National Diabetes Month. When coding diabetes, we want to include the type and the manifestations. According to Coding Clinic, third quarter, 2018, pages 4 to 5, diabetes type 1.5 should be assigned to category E13. These patients have characteristics of type 1 and type 2. It is also referred to as latent autoimmune diabetes of adults, or LADA, or slow-progressing type 1. One other comment on diabetes is that with or in should be interpreted to mean associated with or due to. It is if there are two conditions linked by these terms in the index or tabular, the condition should be coded as related even in the absence of physician documentation according to the 2020 ICD-10-CM official coding 
and reporting guidelines. The CDC says to prevent or delay diabetes to eat healthy, be physically active, take your diabetic meds if they're prescribed and you have the condition, check your blood sugar. Now, just a couple of other quick updates. Um, An update with regards to the vaping illness. There are 1,888 lung injuries, cases associated with e-cigarette products across 49 states, District of Columbia, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. A total of 37 deaths have been reported in 24 states. The patients who died often reported using THC, which is the psychoactive compound of marijuana, although an official cause has not been reported. The state with the most reported cases is Illinois. Information is available on the CDC website. The code for vaping is F17.290. CMS has also been busy with a flurry of final rules published late on Friday. Um, They include the outpatient prospective payment system, the public case, the, the rule is released in unofficial form, and it will be released on 11-12-19. The physician final rule will be le- released on 11-15-19, and home health is scheduled to be released on 11-8-19. You can find these publications at the CMS website by selecting Medicare tab, and then at the bottom of the, at the screen, On the right-hand side, there's the various patient types. Select the patient type that you're interested. With that, back to you, Erica. Thanks, Lori. That was Lori Johnson. Lori is a senior healthcare consultant for Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. We begin a new series here at Talk Enthusi. It's called 10 Going on 11. 10 Going on 11 is sponsored by AHIMA, representing health information professionals who are stronger through collaboration. As advocates and educators, they're dedicated to your growth. Get connected at ahima.org. So, what are the implications of CDI under ICD-11? Joining me now is the AHIMA Vice President of Practice Excellence, Melanie Endicott. Good morning, Melanie. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Thanks for the intro, Chuck. And thank you for inviting me to be on Top 10 Tuesday. There are some new terms that we will see in describing ICD-11 codes, such as STEM codes, and Lori mentioned that, extension codes, cluster coding, pre-coordination, and post-coordination. STEM codes contain all pertinent information in a pre-combined fashion. This is referred to as pre-coordination. When additional detail that pertains to a condition is described by combining multiple codes, this is referred to as post-coordination. The mechanism of showing that codes are post-coordinated is called cluster coding in ICD-11. The extension codes may be used to add detail to a STEM code and are not to be used alone, but must be added to a STEM code. Not all extension codes can be used with every STEM code. I won't delve any deeper into the definitions and appropriate uses of each of these new terms today, but but if you want to learn more about them, I suggest you check out the ICD-11 reference guide on the WHO website. What I do want to share with the audience about this new coding scheme in ICD-11 is that it provides for even more specificity than what we see in ICD-10. When I recall the transition from 9 to 10, a lot of education surrounded the increased documentation specificity that needed to occur to accurately capture the ICD-10 codes. 
I foresee a similar pattern as we transition from 10 to 11. I think one of the biggest areas for clinical documentation improvement will be in capturing all of the specificity that is needed for extension codes. There are two types of extension codes. Type one extension codes allow the user to add detail to a stem code, such as severity scale value, temporality, etiology, specific anatomic detail, dimensions of an injury or external cause, etc. Type two extension codes represent diagnosis code descriptors, such as discharge diagnosis type, diagnosis timing, diagnosis timing in relation to the surgical procedure, diagnosis method of confirmation, diagnosis certainty, OB diagnosis timing, and capacity or context. It's important to note that the actual use of these extension codes will depend on how ICD-11 is used in the United States. It's too early to begin training on ICD-11 because there are still so many unknowns. However, it's never too early to begin familiarizing yourself with the nuances of ICD-11 and getting a general overview of the new features. A few of these new features to be aware of are the five new chapters that are present in ICD-11, of which I'll give you a quick overview. Conditions affecting the immune system and conditions affecting the blood are now two separate chapters. There's a new chapter titled Sleep-Wake Disorders, Conditions related to sexual health are all in one chapter, and a new chapter titled Traditional Medicine has been added. In closing, the implications of ICD-11 on CDI are not 100% clear right now. I suggest that CDI professionals stay tuned into the process of ICD-11 implementation in the U.S. and be ready once more information is available. Thank you, and I'll now pass it back to Erica. Thank you, Melanie. That was fascinating. You've almost convinced me to stick around for ICD-11. That was the Vice President of HIM Practice Excellence for HEMA, Melanie Endicott. As you've heard us mention today, we're beginning a new series here at Talk 10 Tuesday. It's called 10 Going on 11, and we're fortunate to have two special guests on this broadcast this morning, Margaret Serka and Dr. Robert Jacob from the World Health Organization. First, you're going to hear from Margaret, who has just returned from a meeting of the World Health Organization's Family of International Classifications. They were meeting last week in Canada. And then you're going to hear from Dr. Robert Jacob, who's calling in live from the World Health Organization in Geneva, Switzerland. First, here's Margaret. Thanks, Chuck. Hi, Dr. Jacob and everyone. It's good to be back to talk about I-11. Yes, it's a reality, and all who are listening can start to get prepared, as you've heard, for this significantly new system. Let me stress that we have no idea how soon the U.S. will adapt. But we know it's been years in development from, you know, with clinicians, statisticians, coders, and experts around the world contributing to the content. It is fully electronic now with 17,000 diagnostic categories and over 100,000 medical diagnostic terms in the index. Uh, The website says that an index-based algorithm interprets more than 6 million terms. So to that I say, yikes. And and as others have said, books, we probably won't have books. Um, But I really suggest that you Google a couple of things sometime today or this week. Uh, Check out the reference guide online. Just Google um, ICD-11 reference guide, and you'll see three parts. There's an intro, 
Uh, there's a second part on using I-11 and a third part on what's new, because you'll learn a lot and get a good feel. Sue Bowman from Mahima and I were recently at the fall meeting of the WHO in Banff, and Dr. Jacob, who is um, here, of course, and he's the head guy there, and there was lots of good information throughout the week from many countries. Uh, Lorraine Fernandes from the U.S. was also there. As she is the current president of the International Association. We heard from many countries, and I'll share a little bit of that. All seemed a bit further ahead than we are, but I know we will have a better process than we had last time. I believe our government on that. Iran, for example, has I-11 pilots going on in selected hospitals, one with over 1,000 beds, and they are working on coding accuracy. Israel uses I-10, but said some areas were still in I-9 in that country, but they are working towards 11. Malta and Poland were new to our group. They're busy working on 11, and they've all had longer experience with 10 than we have because we were the last to adopt, as you know. So uh, the other thing I will encourage you to do is to look at the ICD-11 training tool online. Just as Melanie, Melanie said, have some fun with it, enter some diagnoses, see what comes up. It's an easier coding system to learn, and everyone is saying that. Canada has trained coders, I think 30 or 40 of them, in 11 and had them code 3,000 cases already in three hospitals in Calgary. The coders reported this system was easy to learn and use, and data quality was good, and so that's encouraging. Rwanda reported that with only one to two hours of basic training, their coders achieved good accuracy. Yes, you heard that right. I said one to two hours. It is a big improvement from, pre, from, <clears throat> excuse me, from previous editions, I-11 is, and the WHO is saying there may not be a 12, or certainly not in the near future, so just imagine that. Some of us have lived through ICDA 8, 9, 10, and now 11, but 11 was built to be so comprehensive with so many permutations, it could be updated as needed, so maybe no reason, certainly in the near future, to do another entire revision, and to that, all of us will say hurrah. Okay, Japan has a full 20 years more experience with 10 than us. They have finished translating I-11 into Japanese, and they will uh, hopefully implement in three years. I think they'll be first. But I know our government is committed to a more effective process going forward. And a lot will depend on the decision as to we, uh, whether we develop um, a CM edition or not. And I don't think anyone knows that yet. But um, other countries struggle with the same issues as we do in the U.S. in terms of the quality of the underlying data. It's hard to get good codes from documentation that is not high quality, strong, and detailed. So I think that's uh, probably a very significant takeaway for all who are listening. Be relentless in your quest for accurate and detailed data in the health record documentation. That makes the, code, <clears throat> the coding easier now and in the future. So I'm going to hand off right now to Dr. Robert Jacob from the WHO. Well, thank you. Hi, this is Robert Jacob from WHO. Yes, indeed, the ICD-11 has been approved on the 28th May this year by the World Health Assembly for reporting starting on the 1st January 22. And uh, we are now receiving input from countries that, as you heard, are starting implementation these days. So far, the organization has provided systematic information about the ICD-11 to some 90 countries, means training was provided to core staff. And, uh, well, here was a comment about one hour training Rwanda, sometimes even half an hour instructions on how to use this 
smart coding engine that ICD-11 has, and people were able to get 88%, 90% correct coding out of the samples. So this is a real step forward, and we had discussions with a colleague, Health Information Management, what this also means for the profession, because the focus could then be on the quality of the reporting rather than on just the coding. Also, this coding engine, uh, the smart thing there is it gives you code combinations. You have heard in the earlier parts of this conversation that there are a lot of things that can be added to codes, and that sounds scaring. But if you use the coding engine, it can do some natural language processing, and it just gives you the code sequence so you have the detail that you were targeting at without any additional effort. So that's a real change. And, and country told us they like it really because especially this coding is so simple and they make big savings on that side and uh, reduce the number of errors and loss of detail because, as was said earlier, the ICD-11 has all this kind of clinical uh, detail that clinicians like. And while we were developing the ICD-11, uh, we were essentially looking at the clinical modifications of Canada, of Australia, and also the US one and other countries to look what, what has been added there, be it, well, for billing, be it for also clinical documentation purposes, and with this flexibility of the code combinations, you have an expressivity that is unprecedented. Uh, some countries have said they won't need a clinical modifications. Others said, well, they may need them for political reasons. We will see how this evolves. However, uh, the, this kind of coding engine is at the core because in ICD-10, you really looked up an index and it did a lot of rules before you could do a proper coding job. And with this one here, you don't need to know much. And this whole thing can easily be plugged in also in any kind of electronic coding environment. As was said earlier, it's tested already in Iran, for example. We have an open medical record system integration in Rwanda and Uganda, and others are in the process of following, like Tanzania, the UN refugee works uh, already have integrated ICD-11 for their primary care reporting because ICD-11 covers the details of primary recording, and some entities are using it already for pain documentation. ICD has extensive details for pain documentation, and others use it already for in the context of um, uh, patient safety and quality assessment. One, one request you always get, oh, what is ICD-11 uh, doing with traditional medicine? Well, we have traditional medicine diagnosis, no procedures. We are not making publicity for traditional medicine. We just enable dual coding so that we can compare results. So preparations for moving to ICD-11 are starting in China, Egypt, Germany, Jamaica, India, Japan, Tunisia, Russia, and all Latin America. We have the Spanish translation. And we have in ICD-11 even a code for wiping now that is RA00.0. And for ICD-7, the international code for wiping is U07.0. So access ICD-11 at icd.who.int. As you said, they find the user guide, guide, official release, and access on how to make proposals for amending the ICD. That's how it is here from Geneva, and over to you. Thank you, Dr. Jacob. That was Dr. Robert Jacob from the World Health Organization. And before that, we heard from Margaret Skirka. Margaret is the past president of the International Federation of Health Information Management Associations and serves as the association's representative to the WHO's Family of International Classifications, Education, and Implementation Committee 
Now back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Erica. And thank you both, Marcus Kirka and Dr. Robert Jacob. Thank you very much. Coming up next is our very popular segment here at Talk 10 Tuesday. It's called Talk Back with Dr. Erica Reamer. It's coming your way in 60 seconds. This is Talk 10 Tuesday. Stand by. The physician query process is an invitation to legal and financial disaster unless you apply lessons learned in an upcoming webcast on how to achieve a compliant query. During this exclusive ICD-10 Monitor educational webcast led by Dr. William E. Hake, you and your team will learn how to address compliance concerns related to the query process. The webcast is Thursday, November 14th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. To register, view the upcoming webcast tab in today's broadcast. Save $30 when you enter the coupon code TUESDAY. Now is the time for a popular segment here at Talk 10 Tuesday. It's called Talk Back, and it features our own Dr. Erica Reamer. Dr. Reamer, it's all yours. Well, I spoke at the inaugural combined Oregon, HEMA, and ACTUS conference in Albany, Oregon last week. That's why I wasn't on the show. One of the comments I hear often when I speak to coders is how much they appreciate getting the clinician perspective. This is why I feel compelled to share my thoughts with you on the coding clinics. I recently reviewed quarter three, and I am going to honor National Diabetes Month now, too. The first response was not clinically accurate. The questioner stated that the diagnoses were documented as end-stage renal disease due to diabetic nephropathy on dialysis, comma, diabetic retinopathy, comma, diabetic peripheral neuropathy, comma, and hypertension. First, Kudos to whoever trained that doctor to give such clear linkage and specificity. That is a most excellent diagnosis list. The question posed was whether the automatic linkage to hypertensive chronic kidney disease was appropriate in this instance. Chronic kidney disease is often multifactorial, and the combination of diabetes and hypertension often leads to CKD. In fact, Control of the blood pressure in the setting of diabetes is considered more important than glycemic control. In my article, which I will um, be posting later, I will give you a reference for this. If the provider had documented ESRD due to diabetic nephropathy and hypertension, the appropriate codes would have been E11.21, type 2 diabetes with diabetic nephropathy, I12.0, Um, hypertensive chronic kidney disease with stage 5 chronic kidney disease or end-stage renal disease, and N18.6 end-stage renal disease. It is often difficult to sort out which disease process is the dominant cause, and likely they both have impact and share responsibility. In this case, however, the provider linked the end-stage renal disease to the diabetes and listed the hypertension as a separate diagnosis. So I agree with not assuming linkage. The incorrect portion of the response came as an aside at the end. It would be redundant to assign codes for both diabetic nephropathy, E11.21, and diabetic chronic kidney disease, E11.22, as diabetic chronic kidney disease is a more specific condition. It is true, you wouldn't code both. Diabetic nephropathy is a specific subset of CKD. It is advanced renal disease due to microvascular damage from hyperglycemia manifested by proteinuria, 
I again refer you to the article I mentioned before, which you will be able to find in ICD-10 Monitor later. Diabetic kidney disease includes diabetic nephropathy and other parenchymal kidney disease without proteinuria. If your provider has done their due diligence and given you the specificity of diabetic nephropathy, you should be coding diabetic nephropathy. More coding clinic next week. Back to you, Chuck. We've asked our panelists to stick around the roundtable for a little uh, talk and discussion. We have one question. Uh, this question is uh, from George, uh, and he asked Dr. Jacob, in the ICD-10 transition, the World Health Organization mandated that one member country would implement prior to the General Assembly's agreement to move forward. He wants to know what country or countries are currently executing ICD-11. Executing, so actually using ICD-11 countrywide, I think that's, that time is not right for that. Uh, we have cause of death data in Namibia nationwide, and we have a nationwide rollout in Rwanda. And as I said earlier, systematic preparations going on for the nationwide rollout in a range of countries that I was mentioning, like China, Egypt, Germany, uh, Jamaica, India, and others that, that are just preparing because it takes takes a moment to switch the systems to the new coding scheme and, and the reimbursement schemes to the new coding scheme so that this can be done in a coordinated way. So countries that have a not so complex infrastructure can be quicker than those who have a more complex structure. Thanks, Dr. Jake, very much. That was Dr. Jake for the World Health Organization. That's going to be a wrap for a 392nd edition of Talk 10 Tuesday, and I want to thank our panelists today, Melanie Endicott, Laurie Johnson, Tim Powell, and our two special guests, Margaret Circa and Dr. Robert Jacob, whom you just heard, and, of course, our co-host, Dr. Erica Reamer. And remember, no matter where you are, you can always listen to all the Talk 10 Tuesday podcasts anytime, anywhere. You can listen to us on Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. And when you do, rate us. Give us a review. Until next Tuesday, I'm Chuck Buck, reporting for ICD-10 Monitor and Talk 10 Tuesday. Thank you very much for being with us. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.